The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Hello and welcome to the Loomis Sales Full Discretion Funds Quarterly Update Podcast, where portfolio managers share their thoughts on the markets and their funds. My name is Erica Casale with Texas Investment Managers, and today I'm here with Brian Kennedy, one of the portfolio managers on the Full Discretion team at Loomis Sales. Welcome to the show, Brian. Oh, thank you for having me again. This is great to be here. Awesome. All right. So we'll rip the Band-Aid off 2022. It was quite a year to be a fixed income investor um, and one I think that many are happy to put behind them. What would you say were some of the biggest takeaways coming into the new year um, versus others that you may have managed through? Yeah, I I think the if I had to sum it up in just really one or two things, the removal of liquidity by global central banks from the financial system was really painful throughout the course of 2022. And we're going to continue to see that in 2023. So um, we dealt with inflation, and that's not something that in the past we've really dealt with for a number of decades. Certainly, we've, we seem to have been moving past COVID from a pandemic more into an endemic type of, of state. Um, the good news is that the fixed income markets have yield again. And we saw that throughout the year. We started at a very low base of yields, but as the year went on, um, certainly the, the entire curve moved higher. And I think that's a good thing coming in to, the, to 2023. Uh, we do think that yield advantage and carry is going to be a really important component of returns this year. So as much pain as we went through in 2022, there is, and this typically is the case for us, at least at Loomis, those tough years are typically followed by um, years with much better returns. And we think that we're set up for the potential for that to happen again here. That's great to hear. And and as you mentioned, you know, persistent inflation was really the, the key driver of a lot of the, the market malaise that we saw last year. From your team's perspective, what do you think is the likely path of inflation and, and thus the Fed from here? Yeah. For this cycle, we think inflation's likely peaked in the U.S., um, but we don't believe we're headed back to pre-COVID type of inflation levels. And that's largely because of some of the secular dynamics that are in place in both the labor markets as well as the geopolitical relationships around the world, ESG considerations, and also some of the sovereign borrowing needs going forward. So we see inflation remaining above the Fed's 2% target well into 22 um, one of the other portfolio managers on the team, Matt Egan, has kind of summarized it by saying we call it the four Ds. It's demographics, it's deglobalization, it's decarbonization, and it's deficits. And so we think that that's likely to lead to um, higher inflation on a secular basis, although you may see cyclical highs and lows like we've seen in the past. Um, as far as the Fed's concerned, we're likely closer to the end of the rate hiking path than we are to the beginning. Um, the markets are getting very aggressive again right now in pricing in almost deflation at this point. If you look at one-year break-evens, inflation break-evens, they're actually below 2%. They're around 175 today. So you know, we believe the Fed's got 50 to 75 basis points more in this hiking cycle in the first quarter of 23 uh, before it pauses. That likely puts them in the 5 to 5.25% range. But we think they pause and they stay there for a while. Um, we, we think that any economic slowdown in the U.S. is likely to be mild enough that it's not going to cause the Fed 
to turn around and have to cut rates immediately, it really kind of uh, it, it defeats the purpose of what they're trying to do. And we do think, again, that inflation is going to stay above that 2% target, likely not uh, dramatically higher. It might be in the 25 to 3.5% range. But it's still higher, so um, it, it's a little bit puzzling to me to think that the markets are, are pricing in cuts already when we still think that inflation is likely to stay um, above 2%. Now, given our forecast that inflation is going to stay above 2%, we wouldn't rule out the possibility of an additional rate hike at some point if growth holds up. Um, our base case right now is the Fed pauses and likely stays on a pause through the end of, of 2023. Got it. Thank you for that perspective. But you know, as we know, the U.S. is only part of the story. Um, not only do we have inflation beyond our borders, we have some of the effects of the European winter and of the Ukraine-Russia war still being determined. And we do have China finally seeming yeah. to reopen in a bigger way. Um, can you just give us your take on the, more of the global picture? Sure. Yeah. Um, you may actually be seeing a peaking in inflation in Europe as well. Certainly the warm weather in Europe so far has... Uh, helped out a, a really tough situation from uh, the standpoint of of heating homes and businesses uh, and 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 factories uh, from the natural gas standpoint. So you may be seeing a peaking of inflation in Europe, but the energy situation related to the Russia-Ukraine war remains really tenuous. The ECB has delivered strong language and policy intentions regarding the future future path of interest rates. So time will tell if they're able to follow through with those intentions. I think it's much more likely that you're going to see a recession in Europe, uh, a significant recession, than you're going to see in the U.S. at this point in time. Um, Japan uh, really surprised the markets right before Christmas with a widening of the of the of the yield curve control band from moving it up from zero to 25 basis points to 25 to 50. We would expect to see more moves by the BOJ in 23. Um, they're combating real inflation for the first time in decades, and so they're gradually going to come off of this lower band that's been around zero for so long. Um, and that could have implications for yield curves around the world and certainly for currencies as well. So that remains to be seen. But they are dealing with with real inflation finally there. And then really, China remains the only major central bank that's relaxing policy and making efforts towards stimulating their economy. And you, you can see that in some of the efforts towards some of the home builders that are out there, some of the property developers as well. Certainly, the removal of the no COVID policy, we're going to get an economic rebound in China over time. And that, again, I think is good for Asian economies. It's also good for, for some currencies as well. So, um, you know, I think the, the, the U.S. seems to be further along in the rate hiking cycling, probably closer to the end. Um, the ECB for now is delivering really strong rhetoric around what they want to do. Um, and Japan really just seems to be starting to get going. So uh, remains to be seen. But certainly the global situation is going to impact, I think, what goes on in the U.S. from a rate standpoint this year as well. Great. Thank you for, for your team's yeah. views. And pivoting a little bit, and, and let's take a look at the portfolios. As a reminder, the full discretion team manages a full lineup of products that range along the risk return spectrum from more conservative, core plus-like products to more yield and total return enhancing multi-sector products. Let's start with the core plus product, the Luma Sales Investment Grade Bond Fund. The institutional share class of this fund was up just under 2%, outperforming both of the listed indices over the same three-month period. Could you provide some color on what helped and hurt performance in the fourth quarter and maybe briefly for 2022 as a whole? Yeah, sure. Uh, a couple of things about the fourth quarter. You did have some 
messaging from the Fed that they were likely to slow down the magnitude of the rate hikes. And then you also had the messaging out of China regarding the end of the zero COVID policies. And that spurred on some risk taking in the fourth quarter. So performance was really led by those sectors that had longer spread duration. Uh, We had some good security selection in high yield. Um, emerging markets, and we've had some positions in some of the Chinese home builders uh, over the past year and a half, two years, and those have rebounded significantly uh, over the course of the fourth quarter. And then some longer spread duration investment grade did well as uh, also. So, um, you know, securitized, lagged, given the shorter spread duration of most of those assets, and the yield curve effect was minimal as uh, both sector and security selection dominated the quarter as far as returns were concerned. So this, to me, was kind of a a return to what we typically would look at and say is normal for a return or an attribution um, array in in a Loomis sales full discretion mutual fund, where security selection and sector selection typically dominate. It's typically two-thirds to three-quarters of our our alpha is driven from, from those as opposed to yield curve. For 2022, I think the unusual thing was that the yield curve positioning was really the dominant force behind the excess return. I don't want you know obviously can't call it total return uh, as we were down uh, quite a bit in in on the absolute basis, but on an excess return basis, yield curve positioning, and we were very short duration coming into the year, over three years short versus uh, the benchmarks, and I think that helped us significantly during the course of the year. So we've closed the majority of that duration underweight throughout the year. We're less than a year short versus the benchmarks right now. Um, we're positioned from a risk standpoint for late cycle, maintaining a yield advantage over the index, but wider credit spreads did detract from overall performance in 22. So this was really about the yield curve and the positioning that we had in there. So. We tried to limit the drawdown as much as we could just using the duration tool that we had. So an unusual year for us as security and sector selection lagged quite a bit, uh, and yield curve positioning was the sole contributor to excess return during the course of 22. Great. Thank you, Brian. All right. And now let's look towards the multi-sector products, the bond fund and the strategic income fund. And again, as a reminder, these portfolios do have additional flexibility versus the investment grade bond fund and can invest meaningfully in sectors like high yield, non-dollar and equities. Using the bond fund as a proxy, the fund returned well over two and a half percent in the fourth quarter, handily outperforming the listed benchmark, which was the Bloomberg U.S. government credit index by almost 100 basis points. What do you think helped and hurt performance for those funds in the fourth quarter, and then maybe again briefly in 2022? So a similar story to investment-grade bond. Um, These are uh, risk-taking, return-seeking funds, and uh, we were um, uh, positioning them for late cycle from a risk standpoint. But that doesn't mean that they're risk-free. We certainly have positions still in high yield, investment-grade emerging markets, and equity in these portfolios. Um, throughout the course of the year. And in the fourth quarter, you did see those risk assets, again, uh, start to perform uh, better um, during the course of, uh, of those three months. So they rebounded in, in the fourth quarter, really led again by high yield and emerging market security selection, also longer spread duration investment grade as well. Um, you know, the, the, the drivers of the performance for both of those funds during the year, again, was yield curve positioning. And again, we were significantly short, better than three years short the duration of the indices coming into the year. And so we did want to limit as much as we, as we could um, the amount of, of duration exposure that we had. 
We do want to maintain, again, yield advantage in these portfolios. So uh, we settled in around four years at the beginning of this year from a duration standpoint. But uh, for the for the whole of the year, again, yield curve positioning was really the, the driver of the excess return uh, in these funds. But I do think that the fourth quarter is worth pointing out that although we're talking about being in the later stages of the expansion uh, and that the risk uh, overall risk posturing of the funds is somewhat, I would say, median to slightly below median if you look at history, the funds still performed and outperformed the indices in a risk-on environment. And I think that's important because we do take a really long-term perspective with these funds. And so there is still uh, there are still asset classes in these funds that can perform when we do see these risks-on type of scenarios, even in the later stage of an expansion, even in a rising rate environment. Uh, you do still have risk and you have return potential in both of those funds as well as yield advantage. Great. Thank you, Brian. All right. Now, and pivoting again and and looking towards, you know, outlook, there's been a lot of mention in the news about a recession yeah. on the horizon. Your team's portfolio construction process begins with taking more of a top-down macro view of the marketplace. And last time we were together, uh, your team maintained that we were still in the late expansion phase of the credit cycle. Has that changed at all in the new year? No, um, we're still in the later stages of this expansion. We call it late cycle. You know, certainly the next stage of a cycle would be downturn. So we are being prudent about the risk that we're taking in the portfolios in here. We do want to manage drawdown in these portfolios. It doesn't mean we're not going to take a drawdown for a short period of time, but those drawdowns also present us with buying opportunities. And so we are sitting on elevated levels of reserves historically right now. Um, and if we did see a drawdown, we would definitely be involved in the markets and try to add to risk assets. But at this point in time, we still think we're later in that expansion right now. We're coming off of a really strong base of economic performance over the last two years, both 21 and 22. And both the consumer and corporate balance sheets are strong as we enter this slowdown into the U.S. So from a, a cycle perspective, you know, we are starting to see signs of the slowdown. So profit margins are contracting. Pricing power starting to abate for some for some companies. Debt-to-profit ratios are growing. Senior loan officer surveys are showing tighter lending standards across the board. So we are starting to see some weakness. But again, we're coming off a really strong base. And both consumers and companies, corporations, come into this downturn in really good shape from a balance sheet standpoint. Much better than if you think back to the period pre-GFC uh, on, on both sides. So none of these slowdowns that we're seeing are dramatic. Uh, but they are evident. And so, again, we're starting from a really strong base, but the trend is weaker fundamentals right now. Our base case, again, growth slowdown coupled with sticky inflation. Is a recession possible? Yes. Is it a foregone conclusion? Um, I'm not so sure. And I said earlier, I think the recession in Europe is much more likely than the U.S. You could see just 0% growth or a half a percent GDP growth for a period of time here in 2023. So I'm not so sure that we're we're, we're locked into the recession call in the U.S. right now. <coughs> Great. Thank you, Brian. And and as you mentioned earlier, your team did take a more favorable, favorable view on shorter duration in 2022 amidst all of the interest rate volatility. Is that view changing in today's environment for your team? Um, no. I, I would say that um, you know we're still short duration. It Again, we've closed the gap. We were three-plus years short, if I think about all the funds beginning last year. Um, so we have closed that. We do think we're closer to the end of the rate hiking cycle than the beginning. Um, but the durations of, of the portfolios are within a year. 
um, of the uh, of the indices at this point. So we do still think inflation sticky. Perhaps inflation has peaked for the cycle. As a matter of fact, in the U.S., we're pretty sure that it has. But on a secular basis, we would expect inflation to rebound. And again, uh, that's due to some of these larger demographic decarbonization, deglobalization issues that we're seeing out there. And again, we do think that the deficits for many sovereigns are going to start to to run higher in here. So, um, you know, I, I do think that we're closer to the end of this rate hiking cycle than the beginning. Um, I think if we got up closer to what we thought was the terminal rate in Fed funds and likely close to 4% in tens, we'd probably look to get neutral duration um, at some point in time. And so, um, you know, the markets are pricing in, again, a really aggressive uh, pivot in here and really a return to 2% type of inflation. And I think we differ from the market in, in that viewpoint. Great. Thanks, Brian. All right. Now, that seems to be kind of covering the, the top-down viewpoint. But as we know, the full discretion team is really known from, from their portfolio construction process, really emphasizing that bottom-up security selection, particularly within credit. Your team incorporates six pillars of security selection, uh, grouping into fallen angels, cheap for rating, upgrade candidates, stress, de-stress, avoid the losers, and new issue premium. Given where we are in the credit cycle and your macro view- views, what pillars are you finding the most interesting today? Uh, there's a couple of things out there that still look um, interesting to us when we look at our process. Um, certainly, um, new issue premium right now, and, and just thinking about we've had a, a deluge of, of new issues specifically in the investment-grade market to start the year here. And so uh, we are taking advantage of that in some cases, uh, adding to um, to some what we think are, are cheap new issues versus what's trading in the secondary market. <clears throat> Another one I would point to is cheap for ratings. And I'll give you an example, U.S. banks. Um, U.S. banks are very well capitalized at this point. Maybe at, at no time in history have they been better capitalized coming into a downturn. Um, but they are trading cheap historically to their ratings. And so that's an area that we're focused on at, at this time, taking a look. And then as we come into the end of a cycle like this, um, sometimes having the opportunity to miss out on a loser or avoid a loser can be beneficial to the portfolio as well. And so there's going to be some surprises here, most likely on the negative side as we see earnings revisions. And again, we see companies that are challenged from an inventory standpoint or profit margin standpoint. Um, and so avoiding losers is important at this point in time. So sometimes it's not what you put into the portfolio, it's what you don't put into the portfolio that can help you at this stage of the cycle. So if I look at our pillars, I would say the cheap for rating, uh, the new issue premium, and avoiding the losers. On deck, fallen angels. Uh, we are going to start to see some downgrades as we start to see this slowdown take place. So we have seen companies, home builders, other areas where you've seen upgrades from double B into triple B into investment grade, and you're likely to start to see some downgrades as well. And that happens every cycle. And sometimes you have forced sellers uh, that have to get out of bonds that were downgraded from triple B into double B. And so f- from my perspective, we look at that as an opportunity. We take a very long-term investment horizon from for these investments. And so what we want to do is buy these when they're cheap, buy these fallen angels on this this forced selling pressure, and then I'm happy to hold them. As long as I'm getting paid to take the risk, I'm happy to hold those bonds in the portfolio for a period of time until the fundamentals improve again. So a number of the pillars, I think, are, are in play right now. Um, certainly, again, we look at, at some of the stressed and distressed opportunities that are out there. Those are likely to grow over the next couple of years as well. 
So there's a lot, I think, of, of opportunity when I look at our process and we look at the pillars that we fall back on to find bonds to populate into the portfolio. Great. Thank you, Brian. All right. And one last question that we can leave our, our listeners with. You know, As we enter 2023, we know fixed income markets remain in transition, but we really do stand on kind of a pivotal moment yeah. as far as future opportunity with fixed income globally. How important would you say, do you think that, that your flexible benchmark agnostic approach is really to identifying that most attractive value? And would you say you're taking advantage of the transition differently in each product? So th- this is a, I would call this a bond pickers type of market. This is not a market where we're going to blanket add risk across the board and just raise the, the risk profile of the, of the portfolios because everything looks cheap. There are some select opportunities out there. Um, but what I, w- I would also say is that when I think about the flexibility that our products uh, offer us and I think about what we could possibly be using in the future that we're not using as much of today, I think about areas like non-dollar. Uh, we're we're, 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 we're basically zero in, in, in the portfolios. And I know in investment-grade bond fund, we've made a prospectus change a couple of years ago where we can't use currency anymore. But bond and strategic income um, have, for years, had larger uh, non-dollar allocations. And I think that that could be an opportunity for us. So to have the flexibility to u- use areas like securitized, to uh, potentially looking at CLOs or even some of the consumer or corporate ABS that's out there, looking at non-dollar, um, looking at emerging markets, uh, I think those are, are really important to go along with the, the traditional credit allocations that you know us for, which is investment grade and high yield. So that flexibility is really important. Uh, I would say that as we look at the funds, certainly um, the risk is going to be dialed up and down depending on which fund you're talking about. Some of the funds have a lot more flexibility than others. So you know the investment grade bond fund seems to be a place for jumping off place for people right now who are coming out of cash and short duration. Uh, but I do think that over time, the flexibility in bond and strategic income can lead to uh, sustained total return numbers that are going to be very attractive. In addition to that, um, they're both going to provide a significant amount of yield advantage. So when I think about the, the two real differences from what we do than a lot of other people do, what do we focus on? It's yield advantage. That's number one. We always have that yield advantage. And the good thing about fixed income markets today, there's yield. So there's cushion there against a downturn, against spread widening, against higher rates. Uh, that's something we haven't had for the last couple of years. And then for, specifically from the Loomis standpoint, we're always looking for bonds that offer convexity. And we're looking to have positive convexity in the portfolio. And we have a ton of positive convexity right now in the in the portfolio. So many of the bonds in the portfolio traded a discount to par. And so that pull to par over time is going to provide return as well. So yield advantage, convexity, and the flexibility that these funds all offer uh, I think we're set up for a really good 2023. And I think that's a, a great place to leave it. Brian, thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts today. Um, and for our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Loomis Full Discretion Funds and about how Brian and his team run these strategies, please reach out to your Natixis wholesaler or visit us on our website at im.natixis.com. Important information. Standard performance as a percentage for the Loomis Sales Investment Grade Bond Fund as of December 31st, 2022. Class Y, three months, 1.98, year to date, minus 11.31, one year, minus 11.31, three years, minus 0.24, five years, 1.54, 
10 years, 2.14, class A, 3 months, 1.91, year to date, minus 11.62, 1 year, minus 11.62, 3 years, minus 0.49, 5 years, 0.39, 10 years, 1.88, class A with 4.25% maximum sales charge, 3 months, minus 2.39, year to date, minus 15.39, 1 year, minus 15.39, 3 years, minus 1.92, 5 years, 0.39, 10 years, 1.44, standard performance as a percentage for the Loomis sales bond fund as of December 31st 2022, retail class, 3 months, 2.74, year to date, minus 12.78, 1 year, minus 12.78, 3 years, minus 2.91, 5 years, minus 0.26, 10 years, 1.63, institutional class, 3 months, 2.79, year to date, minus 12.49, 1 year, minus 12.49, 3 years, minus 2.65, 5 years, 0, 0.00, 10 years, 1.89, top 10 holdings for the Loomis sales investment grade bond fund as of December 31st, 2022, US Treasury bond 2.250% February 15th, 2052, 2.80% of portfolio, US Treasury note 0.125% August 31st, 2023, 2.77% 2 of portfolio, US Treasury bond 3.250% May 15th, 2042, 2.74% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury bond 2.000% November 15, 2041, 1.46% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury note 0.125% April 30, 2023, 1.11% of portfolio, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company 4.125% December 15, 2026, 0.97% of portfolio, Goldman Sachs Group, Inc., the fixed rate to August 23, 2027, variable rate thereafter 4.482% August 23, 2028, 0.84% of portfolio, Bank of America Corp fixed rate to December 20, 2027, variable rate thereafter 3.419% December 20, 2028, 0.64% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury bond 2.875% May 15, 2052, 0.53% of portfolio, Glencore Funding LLC 4.000% March 27, 2027, 0.53% of portfolio, performance data listed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results, total return and value will vary, and you may have a gain or loss when shares are sold, current performance may be lower or higher than quoted, for most recent month-end performance, visit im.natixis.com, performance for other share classes will be greater or less than shown based on differences in fees and sales charges, performance for periods less than one year is cumulative, not annualized, returns reflect changes in share price and reinvestment of dividends and capital gains, if any, for the Loomis sales investment grade bond fund, gross expense ratio 0.79%, class A share, 0.54%, Class Y share, net expense ratio 0.74%, Class A share, 0.49%, Class Y share, as of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded. This arrangement is set to expire on April 30, 2024, when an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios may be the same. For the Loomis sales bond fund, gross expense ratio 0.93%, retail class, 0.68%, institutional class, net expense ratio 0.92%, retail class, 0.67%, institutional class, as of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded, this arrangement is set to expire on April 30, 2023, when an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios may be the same, Loomis sales investment grade bond fund risks, fixed income securities may carry one or more of the following risks, credit, interest rate, as interest rates rise bond prices usually fall, inflation and liquidity, foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Below investment-grade fixed-income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed-income securities. Mortgage-related and asset-backed securities are subject to the risks of the mortgage
mortgages and assets underlying the securities. Other related risks include prepayment risk, which is the risk that the securities may be prepaid, potentially resulting in the reinvestment of the prepaid amounts into securities with lower yields. Loomis sales bond fund risks. Fixed. Income securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit. Interest rate. As interest rates rise bond prices usually fall. Inflation and liquidity. Below investment grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Currency exchange rates between the U.S. dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Equity securities are volatile and can decline significantly in response to broad market and economic conditions. The Bloomberg U.S. Government Credit Bond Index is the non-securitized component of the U.S. Aggregate Index and was the first macro index launched by Barclays Capital. The U.S. Government Credit Index includes treasuries, i.e., public obligations of the U.S. Treasury that have remaining maturities of more than one year, government-related issues i.e., agency, sovereign, supranational, and local authority debt, and corporates. Credit quality reflects the highest credit rating assigned to individual holdings of the fund among Moody's, S&P, or Fitch. Ratings are subject to change. The fund's shares are not rated by any rating agency and no credit rating for fund shares is implied. Bond credit ratings are measured on a scale that generally ranges from AAA, highest to D, lowest. The CBOE Volatility Index, BIX, is a key measure of market expectations of near-term volatility conveyed by S&P 500 stock index option prices. The CBOE Volatility Index, BIX, reflects a market estimate of future volatility, based on the weighted average of the implied volatilities for a wide range of strikes. First and second month expirations are used until eight days from expiration, then the second and third are used. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit im.natixis.com or call 800-862-4863 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. This material is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. The views and opinions expressed are as of January 11, 2023 and may change based on market and other conditions. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker, dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Distribution, LLC, Fund Distributor, Member FINRA, SIPC, and Loomis, Sales & Company, LP are affiliated. Add tracks, 1468933301, expiration date, April 30, 2023, POD 96, December, 2022.